Welcome back to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. Today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 11, and we are doing the Fast and the Furious franchise, or as I like to call it, the FFCU, the Fast and Furious Cinematic Universe. And if I keep saying it, maybe it'll catch on. So let's jump into everything Fast and the Furious now. That's right, Fast and the Furious. So buckle up, folks. This franchise is taken us on a wild ride filled with outrageous stunts and mind-boggling physics and dialogue that often leaves us scratching our polished bald heads yet there's something undeniably fun and addictive about these films that just keeps us coming back for more and i say addictive because i watched five six seven eight Hobbs and Shaw 9 and then went to see 10 in theater and then came home and started watching 1, 2, 3, and 4 because I hadn't watched those ones in a while Uh, and I actually hadn't seen uh, any of them past uh, 5 I'd only seen the first 4 I think I had seen 5 maybe in bits and pieces but at some point uh, I just uh, I lost interest in the Fast and the Furious movies uh, in my teens I had grown up up with them I had grown up with the Fast and the Furious (laughs) so I know I grew up with uh, the Fast and the Furious, and that's going to be part of today's episode, uh, little historical anecdotes and and tidbits about, um, you know, how this franchise has spanned two decades going on a third decade, which is, which is absolutely amazing. So, uh, from the very first film, uh, the, the, the Fast and the Furious franchise established itself as this thrill seeking roller coaster. We've witnessed cars leaping across buildings, jumping between moving vehicles and defying the laws of physics with every tire screeching turn. At this point, the stunts are so outlandish that they border on the realm of pure fantasy and they previously you know like it just it, it makes them it, 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 it you know every stunt is bigger than the previous one and it, it leaves you with like it, the only thing left to do is near herculean in task or as i always say they're doing captain america level heroics at this point and clearly they're being influenced by the mcu but in the franchise itself it's always funny to remind yourself that like these guys aren't superheroes right like i didn't miss a scene did one of them get the secret like serum because like i'm I'm, like looking at the guy next to me in the theater like did did he become captain america how did how did he do that (laughs) it's just it, it it adds to the the comical enjoyment of these outlandish movies and it's precisely what makes them so exhilarating to watch and while some may scoff at that lack of realism the franchise doesn't take itself too seriously anymore that's for damn sure and that's just part of its charm fast and the furious has transformed itself into this self-aware spectacle acknowledging the absurdity in its own premise and just embracing that with open arms it's like strapping yourself into a cinematic amusement park ride where you know things might get a little wild but it's precisely why you're there to just let go and enjoy the thrill well one of the best things about these movies is that in a world filled with complexities and uncertainty 
he's in our in our real life day-to-day you know existence the fast and the furious franchise offers this perfect escape it's a it's a place where we can momentarily forget about our worries suspend disbelief and immerse ourselves in a world where high-speed chases explosions and muscle-bound heroes save the day it's it's pure popcorn entertainment at its absolute finest and some of my best memories of the first few films uh, you know they're they're they go back to 2001 some of those memories are you know watching it with my my older brother we became huge fans early on and we would play burnout and and all the other racing games we even had the wheel and the pedals with the whole gear shift and everything uh which my brother actually has been spending his free time setting up a new whole uh car simulator in his apartment which is very cool and he's gone above and beyond and had some some really cool equipment for that uh, whole setup the car simulating uh, circuit it's it's very popular and there's a lot of modding and stuff happening there so that's very cool it's very fun to uh, to see that and and I believe you know like it, it goes back to this it goes back to what I was saying that we became huge uh, fast and the furious fans uh, back in the day I remember it came out it was hugely popular and those are fond memories bonding over the movie with family and it's exactly what I think of when Toretto says that oh so iconic phrase that has become synonymous with the franchise you know and we all know what it is it's about family that's <laughs> that's my okay that's my terrible um uh, dom impression and and he never misses an opportunity to remind us about that important uh that importance of family bonds and I mean, sure, the concept may be a bit overplayed and the notion of family has been stretched to its limits, but there's no denying the the heartwarming moments it brings and that that's what is at the heart of this franchise. It's characters and character development that has literally spanned 20 plus years already and is going to push itself into the 2030s at this point with the release date and the, the writer's strike that is currently happening. So... We have much more Fast and the Furious, especially if you include the spinoffs. And I think there was like a Netflix kid app adaptation at one point. And, and it's just, it, especially when you're thinking about the very first movie, it's very funny to think like it was what I was saying before about them becoming superheroes. And now they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're appropriate for kids and they're using like fast cars to stop crimes and they're the good guys and like this transformation from from where we begin in 2001 to where we find ourselves in 2023 is you know one of the best achievements in like PR and marketing and and all of that like everything that they did to take these guys from the bad guys and the street racers and the criminals to the hero who saves the day with his fast car and he saves the entire world in the process and you know he might be outside the law but he's still the good guy and that's just uh, you you got to give them credit where credit is due you can say it's bad writing but it's good something they did a good job somewhere on that um and it's it's underneath the explosions and the tire smoke the the fast and the furious films explore you know these themes of loyalty and unbreakable bonds that tie those characters together um they may engage in these high stake heists and engage in adrenaline fueled races but you know ultimately 
it's that connection they share that keeps us invested to be 100% corny and, and ridiculous at the same time. Um, it's a reminder that, like, you know, like amidst all that chaos and mayhem, that there's always room for love and loyalty and and uh, just super cheesy dialogue. Like you could just that's 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 what this this entire franchise is made out of. Like that's the bedrock of this franchise. This franchisation. This franchisation. That's that's gonna be a word now. Um, so let's talk about the movies. Let's talk about Fast and the Furious. So, I mean, since its inception in 2001, the Fast and the Furious franchise has just taken the action film genre by storm with the blend of high-speed car chases, heart-stopping stunts, and diverse ensemble cast. And the series has become in itself a cultural phenomenon over the years it's spawned we're at fast ten, we're at fast 10 people and there's already there's a spin-off so it's it's 11 movies it's an indelible mark on pop culture so let's let's jump into the very first movie the birth of a franchise fast and the furious sorry the fast and the furious movies had long titles back in 2001 22 years ago so the fast and the furious directed by rob cohen served as like i said the inception of the franchise starring of course vin diesel and paul walker the film introduces audiences to the underground world of street racing it's exotic it's fast it's it's everything that an audience wants and the chemistry between dom and brian created this dynamic that would anchor the series for years to come and going back to watch this movie like 22 years later there is a lot i can say i didn't pick up on when i was 10 because like I, I was younger in, in 2001 i was seven um so like my brother was in on uh, nine or ten at the time and like i said we became huge fans of this series and one of the things that i did not pick up on and i cannot not pick up on it now and I laugh about it when I watch it that was this thick aura of bromance that was happening between Dom, Brian and Vince I mean they're literally having couple arguments throughout the movie and it was amazing like that that whole first argument about when when Brian saves Dom from being picked up by the police after the street race gets raided I guess raided is the first, they're broken up I guess broken up is the best term um, and, and Brian picks up Dom and he brings him back to the house and then they're all partying and like and Dom comes in and he's like where were you and he takes the beer out of Vince's hand and gives it to Brian and you see like Brian like w like wipes off his spit and he makes the eye contact and he, and he drinks from the beer and I'm just like wow that is that is a measuring contest if I have ever seen one. <laughs> it was it was amazing, and 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 the movie was the movie was one director away from being Brokeback Mountain, just in cars rather than on horseback, and like that's that's exactly what could have happened in my mind. Uh, so like now with that to be considered um you know like a small budget compared to the sequels uh the first fast and the furious cost only 38 million dollars and the film grossed a whopping 207 million worldwide which is amazing and it's, it's a clear example of like people were interested and the studios recognize this and it's it's crazy to see where the franchise goes from there the first movie dealt with you know race wars you 
had an undercover cop. It hits very differently when you when you go back and and you watch this movie, and then you know you watch the later movies. If you're coming off of a Fast X right now, and you go back to the first Fast and the Furious movie, it's a completely different. Uh, like it feels like a completely different franchise at the end of the day. Like it is amazing how far they've come, and, and if you compare it to other movies, you know you watch the first Iron Man movie off of the back of you know Avengers Endgame or something and it still feels like the MCU they knew where they were going in whereas in the Fast and the Furious it's quite obvious they had no idea where they were going which is a funny car pun in and of itself they didn't know where they were going in their fast cars um, and and the movie dealt with such like core elements of like you know Brian is in these two different worlds and it's the the age-old story of an undercover cop as they say going native really not politically correct and you know joining the bad guys or in the the eyes of the law the bad guys and in in the eyes of the fast and furious the first movie they were the bad guys this is what i was saying in the prelude <laughs> like they were clearly the bad guys and they worked their way up to like were so talented at being the bad guys we're gonna leverage that to be free and then we're gonna become good guys because you're gonna need us because we're so good at our bad guy being <laughs> so like that was uh that's that's one of the best like roundabout ways of creating good guy characters out of what you had already written and not having to reboot a franchise because that never works so <laughs> the movie made a crap ton of money and it led to the next movie this was the starting point of like a lifelong fandom for so many people and myself included you know like i said my older brother and i we love the franchise and over the next 22 years and 10 subsequent films the fast and the furious or like i said as i've begun referring to it as um the because like we have the spinoff right and this spinoff uses the world of the fast and furious just like you would in the mcu or the dceu so i refer to it as the ff CU, the Fast and the Furious Cinematic Universe. And if I keep saying it, maybe it'll catch on. So they're like essentially marking time almost with like every release. Like that's how I look at it. They've, you know, I got to look back and I can think of what was happening in my life when Fast and the Furious 2 came out. I was in third grade. Uh, Tokyo Drift my, marks my sixth grade graduation and the summer before high school. And every single movie has marked for me. Like I said, this is this is how I, it's, it's an interesting franchise and and going back and actually i fell off like i said i didn't watch anything past four i'll be honest but i did watch one two and three uh my brother and i bonded over it we liked all the racing games and then somewhere around four i i watched it i was like yeah it's a good movie and then i was just not really interested anymore um the fourth one comes out and i'm almost done high school at this point and it's just like yeah you know fast cars wasn't really appealing to me i was going more for just other types of video games and other nerd kind of stuff and uh it wasn't until re 
recently that my like I'm just obsessed with franchises now like that's one of my nerd things like I love character building and franchises and you can't argue that there is not character building in a big giant franchise that has become the Fast and the Furious the Fast and the Furious the Fast and the Furious so I couldn't uh, I couldn't deny it anymore and the opportunity to go see Fast X in theaters uh, was something I couldn't turn down so I binged watched what I hadn't seen and now I am on the bandwagon 100% I am a huge Fast and the Furious uh, I'm a reborn Fast and the Furious fan uh, if you will and uh, I mean it's it's amazing and it has so much NOS fueled nostalgia that every time I rewatch one of these movies I now somehow enjoy it even more so let's continue we move up two years from 2001 2003 uh, to too fast and too furious now we're taking it up a gear. We uh, find ourselves in the amazing year of 2003. And in my uh, in my world, it was the era of Beyblades and Bratz dolls. And like we already had uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, it had been out for like a year at the time. Uh, I mean, by 2003. I mean, that was in Canada. Yu-Gi-Oh, the TCG, the trading card game, actually launched in 1999. But it, it took a while to find its way over here. Canada and uh, you know what speaking of Beyblades I actually have the craziest Beyblade related story from this period of my life so let, let's take a quick detour shall we it's like I said it's 2003 and I am in elementary school or primary school depending on where you're listening from and it's it's third grade and Beyblades are the absolute shit now if you were not lucky enough to have been a kid at this time or you just have no goddamn idea what a Beyblade is uh, fear not it was essentially a top like a spinning dreidel type of thing except this one was to battle your opponents and yeah, yes battle you'd spin the top with this really cool like ripcord spinning device and the, the, the toy would attach to it it would click in with satisfying click and you would push this like look like a long ripcord with like all the little teeth and you'd put it in and you would pull it you'd rip it that was the whole idea and the toy would launch off and it would spin around really crazily and you had this like bowl this dome this arena and you basically just needed a, a wide bowl if it was big enough and the, the Beyblades would spin around and smash into each other and whoever fell over or got knocked out of the bowl the, the arena they lost now there was like an entire following around this there was an anime series that was straight out of Japan based on a manga of the same name that became a huge hit sensation and in the manga and in the series the Beyblade is custom uh, with these different pieces, weights, and they even managed to incorporate like a spiritual aspect uh, that they gave the, like the Beyblade some mystical properties, allowing for storylines where the protagonist bonds with their blades and the uh, the bit beast as it was titled. And now, okay, so like that was random backstory part. So the Beyblades they were sold at Walmart, and it was a toy. It comprised 
of three interchangeable parts. You had the base, which was like the like shaped like a dreidel. It had like a metal point at the bottom. It was made out of plastic, and that connected to the middle part, which was a spinning counterweight. And you could get different like levels of weight for different graded Beyblades. And then you had the top piece, which had like plastic flare, and some were like shaped differently, and different shapes could like maybe they wobbled more, or maybe they could easily knock over an opponent's Beyblade and it was all highly designed and colorized and then you had this little click part in the middle where there was a cosmetic top piece and they had this little removable clip with the image of the bit beast and it was it was the rage it was all the rage now my best friend at the time and through elementary school was a nice kid great guy par this story <laughs> and so, so like so he we, we had some issues with bullies and other kids bothering us while we were trying to play with our Beyblades and now okay so this wasn't us being picked on because we had Beyblades and like we were nerds and like we were being picked on for it because everyone had Beyblades even the bullies had Beyblades but like they were just they're just older mean kids it had nothing to do with the fact that we like Beyblades it wasn't like oh you like Beyblades so we're gonna pick on you no everybody had Beyblades it was an even playing field and they still managed to be assholes like this is just one of those stories where like doesn't matter like what you like there's still gonna be the mean kid and you just have to kind of deal with it it's like a like a coming of age story now i chose to deal with it um by ignoring them and they were they were mean old kids they liked to cheat when playing and so the way you cheat in beyblades is like by bumping the bowl so your beyblade would fall over or you throw stuff into the bowl and you know like while the beyblades were spinning or you just go in and grab the beyblade and toss it into the grass and they were made out of plastic and so like any damage would affect the spinning ability so like this this was something you had to like take into consideration like you don't want someone to go and like chuck your beyblade into the grass or like onto the pavement and that's what that's what these kids did they would try to grab your beyblade and just mess with you in this way and it was it was frustrating it was lame and it was frustrating now my approach was to avoid them not to play with them and if they came around we ignored them and i had you know a couple of friends and it wasn't the biggest deterrent now apparently my other friend who I will like call him friend a i don't want to name names <laughs> he had a different approach however and unbeknownst to me or anyone else in our group uh he modified his beyblade in a way that would deter I guess is the word uh, from people from grabbing his Beyblade. Now, uh, remember these toys, they were spinning tops, right? Then the ripcord system, uh, you, if you could get uh, you could get a serious spin if you if you ripped it really hard they were they were spinning around you saw like the little image on it just swirled around and unfortunately um, so if you could imagine what would like you, you, you want to stop at like a spinning top right you want to grab a dreidel or a top you just kind of cup your hand and you put it over it like you're picking up a ball now if you can imagine someone doing that and reaching in and grabbing a spinning beyblade and unfortunately for the kid who reached in and did that because the modifications that my friend made he removed the blades plural from multiple pencil sharpeners and affixed the tiny little blades to his counterweight 
and then ripped the Beyblade, like let it loose and spun, hoping that somebody would do that. And that's exactly what they did. And it just sliced up the inside of that kid's hand. And uh, we were all shocked and, and mortified. And we had a some sense of like, you know, camaraderie i guess and so we didn't want my friend to get in trouble so we all ran away and denied it and it was kind of a he said he said situation so the one kid had some minor cuts on the inside of his hand and he was quite visibly upset and minorly injured um but he doesn't need stitches or anything uh but sure as shit Beyblades got banned and there was some animosity between the parents after that one uh because it was the you know like my friend's parents were like oh he wouldn't do that and none of us would like confirm or deny that that was the case and this other kid was accusing him but he had no proof because obviously we got rid of all the evidence and uh we we told our friend that like he never do something like that again or we wouldn't cover for him this was like a one-time situation because we were all kind of blindsided and none of us wanted to get in trouble um so if anybody from that group of my past happens to be listening to this episode i'm not naming names but that was fucked up and uh that's just a little anecdote about the crazy shit that happened in 2003 involving beyblades uh because it i mean it kind of came up naturally in this episode like 2003 beyblades when else was i ever gonna have a chance to use this anecdote um so that was the crazy um beyblade story but uh let's get back to the ffcu i'm gonna continue saying that until fucking catches on uh so this uh just before the summer break between third and fourth grade the trailer for too fast too furious comes out and i remember the trailer because it's the scene where roman takes off his shirt and punches out the window and that was a great scene in the trailer and then in the movie you got to see the rest of it where brian just opens the door and it's it's a hilarious scene right and i remember i remember that but i to be honest i don't really recall the hype around this movie movie um i know for sure my brother was hyped and we for sure saw the movie when it came out it was definitely spectacular though um if i take off the rose tinted nostalgia sunglasses and think back to like an actual viewing when i was a bit older than 10 and could actually review a movie based on merit um honestly i still like i I still really like too fast and too furious at this point it feels like the budding franchise was kind of following the Halloween model, the Michael Myers ones, Um, because like at the end of Halloween 2, Halloween 3 doesn't follow the same story, nor does it really have anything to do with Halloween 1 or 2. Now, obviously, this isn't an exact comparison. Too Fast, Too Furious does follow Brian to Miami post Fast and Furious 1. Um, But it, it does have that kind of feel like that there were like, okay, well, this first half of the story was done Michael Myers is gone and we're gonna make another movie that takes the you know the name and we just do something else and that's kind of what you feel like is happening in Too Fast Too Furious um and even though like the absence of Vin Diesel raised concerns among fans they introduced some of the like the best fan favorite characters in Too Fast Too Furious we got Terry Skipson joining the cast as Roman Pierce and amazing energy into the franchise and we got to see 
Tej, uh, played by Ludacris, replacing Ja Rule, who uh, famously bowed out. And Ludacris has said, like, did he not like money? I think was his quote or something, because, you know, these movies went on to make so much more money. And and both of these characters, Tej and Roman, have become like huge fan favorites and they would return uh, for Fast Five and, you know, along with Han and some other great characters. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so let's uh, let's continue with Too Fast, Too Furious and their uh, box office uh, and budget. So the movie, uh, $76 million for the budget up from the $31 million uh, from the first movie. And even without Vin Diesel, the movie performed very well at the box office. It made $236 million worldwide. Um, though it didn't capture the same critical acclaim as the first uh, Fast and the Furious, which a lot of people said left the plate uh, open for, for more. People were just, you know, they, as, as Roman said, they're hungry for more. <laughs> that was a terrible. They were, uh, they wanted more. And, you know, thankfully the film gods were on our side and there, there was definitely plenty more to come. So let's, uh, we can we can jump into that now. The next chapter in the FFCU would hit us three years later and on the streets of Tokyo. So we're 2006 now, and it is Tokyo Drift. We're in for a change of pace because it's all about the world of drifting. I should, I should not do sound effects. <laughs> so now, uh, Tokyo Drift marked a significant departure from the original storyline. We have a new protagonist, Sean Seen. I always want to say Seen, but it's Sean. Sean Boswell, played by Lucas Black, who is the oldest goddamn man in high school I've ever seen. He's like 26 at the time when he filmed the movie, but he looks 40. And then you pair him up, you put him on a team with little Bow Wow, who was 19 and looks 16, and Han, who is basically immortal and looks exactly the same that he does in Tokyo Drift as he does in Fast X. And, and like Sean sticks out like an old man at a child's birthday party, like old Timmy uh, at a, like a Fairly Odd Parents episode. Like that's it was it was like that was an obscure reference. Um, and like despite this, like and and the absence of all the original uh, FFCU characters the movie was awesome and the drifting was really cool and they had a pretty good story and and they introduced Han in Tokyo Drift and again just like in Too Fast Too Furious becomes a fan favorite who would return for many more movies and his whole storyline is granted a little muddled and it begins the great retcon that is the FFCU timeline uh, but I'll backtrack when it's necessary because it's just easier to go like with the movies and stuff so for now Han is introduced he's pro- he's everybody's favorite in this movie and unfortunately he dies at the end of this movie and everyone is sad about it for now And Tokyo Drift was a pretty good movie. I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed it for for what it was, and it, the 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 drift montages are great. And I did like the character of Lucas and Sean Boswell is a great actor. Han is a great, you know, he's a great character. Little Bow Wow was funny, and I enjoyed his performance. And the movie has like a great racing. It's still kind of grounded at this point, and it was it was good overall. So let, let's talk about the budget for Tokyo Drift, the third movie. 
movie. So it was up from the last movie from Too Fast, Too Furious. Tokyo Drift has a budget of $85 million, And unfortunately, it didn't hold up to expectations with a more modest run at the box office compared to the first two uh, franchise entries, uh, earning only $158 million. It is a little bit less than the first two movies, but I mean, it's it's amazing that they're like, oh, you earned $50 million less. It's a terrible movie, but it's like, you still earned $158 million. Um, but they had a higher budget, so, and they don't always release the advertising budget and the promo budget, so if you add, like, another $10 million onto the $85 million, then they, they didn't make as much money. So you can understand uh, where people say that this was the low point of the franchise. Now, while it didn't reach the heights of the previous films, it did set the stage for the franchise to revitalize itself. You know, there's that scene at the end of the movie where you see Vin Diesel returning as Dom and he's challenging Lucas to a street race, you know, a drifting race, which is cool because it shows that Dom, you know, he's also good at drifting. And the gods, the film gods were paying attention. They were paying attention to the fans and the desire for the original Fast and Furious magic while also jet-setting around the world to these new and exotic places like Tokyo, you know, at the same time. And the formula, the formula was nearing perfection and it was primed for 2009. We get Fast and Furious. No more thes, just Fast and Furious. Time for a reunion. And again, in this movie, we get to see Brian choose Dom. And I guess these are the semblances of, you know, it's family over everything. We get to see Brian choose Dom uh, over the police. And and we get to see that that crazy, you know, uh, bus escape at the end, which was very cool. And they, they did some, you know, role reversal. So it was it was Brian that's injured at the end of the big, you know, uh, they're, they're trying to outrace the drug dealers and they're trying to be the good guys. And it's Brian that gets injured and then Dom, you know, he's done running and and then he ends up, you know, being sentenced to jail. But, you know, they're not going to let that happen. And you see all the, the cool, you know, different color cars and they're doing their heist maneuvers and they cause the bus to crash and they escape and that's that's fast and furious no thus uh so let's talk about budget of the fourth movie so with the same budget as tokyo drift they got 85 million dollars which is amazing considering how much wider the scope of this movie was and how many more characters and sets and races and all those things etc very well used budget and all of these factors made fast and furious no thus uh, a huge commercial success it made a whopping 363 million dollars worldwide and that success just laid the more of a foundation for the franchise's resurgence and just you know like blew open the gates for the larger than life spectacle that was to come so like buckle up as we hit the halfway point in the ffcu and we arrive in 2011 with the Fast Five and the birth of a heist franchise. So in 2011, historical note, I am graduating high school. This movie has taken, this movie, this franchise, movie franchise, has taken me from the first grade
grade to the 11th grade. 10 years, an entire decade has already gone by and we are at Fast Five, the fifth movie in a crazy car, NOS-fueled franchise. And we are just starting to turn from the races and all the underground, undercover stuff. And we are trading off for heists and big crazy stunts and fight scenes and chase scenes and it worked it was a seamless trade-off and fast five is definitely on my top list of the fast and furious movies so much happens in this movie there's like a train heist at the beginning there's all sorts of crap going on uh that same exact stunt from triple x sending the car off the bridge exactly the same stunt like literally with vin diesel except that you know paul walker got to you know come in for the ride or their stunt doubles i have no idea if they did their own stunts for these movies um maybe some of them i'm i honestly i couldn't remember i, I did a lot of research for all these movies and it's just not in my notes actually uh so there you know i mean there's so much going on that the actual plot of the movie doesn't really start until the 40 minute marker when brian dom and mia sit on that balcony overlooking rio and we get the absolute best putting a crew together montage ever i don't care what anyone says this was eight years and five movies in the making and this is like chef's kiss it was 10 years i said eight years why did i say eight years it was 10 years um this was like this this, this was like absolutely amazing the editing the voiceovers the character descriptions like i said chef's kiss it was absolutely amazing and it, it, it wraps in the previous movies into the fold in a more satisfying manner they're part of the whole motif now we introduce roman and tej to the rest of the group and vice versa and han meets everyone you know he's known dom from the dominican and you know like it's it's amazing you know he's still alive in fast five like they're just completely ignoring the fact that he died in tokyo drift or are they and uh, we also see the return of vince you know we hadn't seen him since he was medevaced away by helicopter following that truck heist accident at the end of the first one 10 freaking years prior like just absolutely amazing and that's just like the main ensemble and not even mentioning the new characters we get elena and hobbs in this uh in, the, in this fast five who despite starting off on the wrong side of the family would become super important members by the end and you know it uh, it's, it was amazing. It was honestly, I, I really love Fast Five. And like some people say that uh, Dwayne Johnson was a bit much in his first outing as Hobbs, which I can totally see where they're coming from. Um, but upon like multiple rewatches, I personally really like him in this movie. And and it was during these rewatches that I feel like this was a choice, like his character trait in the beginning. He was this hard ass, no nonsense, no bullshit cops cop. And, you know, he went after the most wanted criminals all over the world, which leads to, you know, like he's this hardened bad guy and he's like, no, sorry, he's, he's hard. He's not the hardened bad guy. He has to be as hard, you know, on the outside and like as tough as the bad guys. And he leads his, you know, his crew, his like military outfit or whatever it is, his band of like criminal chasers. Um, you know like a very you know like tight ship and and that's his character and you know that leads to one of the best fist fights in the franchise and movie history let's be honest it's vin diesel versus dwayne johnson and this was just absolutely beautiful 
I don't care what anyone says about these movies. It's lowbrow. It's just popcorn entertainment. This was amazing. It was amazingly choreographed. It showed exactly the emotion and intensity that was needed. And it ended up with Dom sparing Hobbs life when he could have easily taken it or seriously injured him. And this is, you know, what starts to like, you know, unravel the exterior that is Hobbs because he thought that Dom was this ruthless criminal who's on his list and he's just another name and he's been accused of these crimes and maybe he committed some of them, but he didn't commit all of them. Um, they are going after him for killing these two uh, agents. That's what put him on, you know, this most wanted list instead of just like burglary, I guess. There's a difference between larceny and murder and he didn't do those killings. Like, right, that's what happens on the train and that the beginning 40 minutes of this movie which like this is just the setup for the rest of the plot which was insane these movies are so freaking complicated at this point and you follow that fight with you follow that fight up with the convoy ambush from Reyes's men and this amazing slow motion scene of Hobbs's team being gunned down and then you follow that up with Dom Brian and Vince walking out and firing their guns and Dom has his shotgun and he's taking out militia guys and then he saves Hobbs and they, he grabs him by the arm and pulls him up and it's just fucking amazing. Now that bond is being made and it's forged in fire and blood and both Hobbs and Elena are seeing the truth and that like why family matters and like, it's just, it's really something wholesome, you know, about these weird action movies. Like it's, they've dominated the last two decades and going on a third and the entire end of Fast Five just gives me this like, giddy feeling I guess like you're just like oh yeah you know and like you're just like oh you're you're just kind of like pumped about it like the jokes are all lighthearted. you know Tej has the same car as Roman uh, everyone is rich and they all got away with it and they're having a good time and the bad guy is lost and these guys are they're making that turn that PR turn from the bad bad guys to the good bad guy the good bad good guys like it's it's so it's so funny and and it just it has a good feeling to it you know they they even actually try to fix the retcon and they they pair uh han and giselle together which is a fan favorite everybody loves them together and they hint that they're gonna go to tokyo eventually which you know i accept as a narrative that they're trying to change the order of events um that you can you can say that as much as you want you know they they release things in different order but it, it's hard to accept because there are so many goddamn flip phones on display in Tokyo Drift like they're the coolest thing since sliced bread and that's because it's 2009 and the Motorola Razor is the coolest goddamn thing to any teenager in the world and so it's hard to argue that those events take place in any other year other than 2009 and it's just kind of one of those funny things where you're like alright like sure you can say that this event takes place at the after this event but it's like what happened to all your iPhones because I'm, 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 we clearly see that you're using a damn iPhone. And then like, oh, apparently Tokyo, the place where all technology comes from, or like one of the one of the main places, is apparently behind the times. Like, this, this is like I can accept it when like when Dom jumps over a bridge and saves somebody out of the midair and then lands on a car and they're both fine. 
but I draw the line at inaccurate technology representation, apparently. <laughs> it's just a funny tangent. This is one of those things that you just you just can't help but noticing. And it's just that like from like straight out of how I met your mother, like that glass breaking moment, and you just hear like the shattering of glass in the background, and you're just like, wait a minute. And uh they they the uh, hilariously, they're at the end of the, the fast five, they're trying to like they're trying to patch up this this retcon of bringing Han back to life and then in the end credit scene which they nicely bring back Eva Mendez's character from Too Fast Too Furious that she's still working for the government and they they hand the paperwork over to Hobbs and they reveal that Letty is still alive introducing another retcon right after trying to fix the last one it's just amazing how do you come up with that stuff and and now the formula has been Perfected. It's as fine-tuned as one of their 10-second cars. And Fast Five was a major box office hit with a much larger budget of $125 million, uh, bigger than any of the previous movies, and $40 million up from the previous movie. But Fast Five made a dynamite splash in the water a whopping 626.1 million dollars worldwide making it the highest grossing movie in the ffcu at that point in time and becoming the seventh highest earning film of 2011 which is amazing and like i said the, the the year i graduated high school 10 years since that first movie hit the big screens and the franchise isn't even nearly out of knowledge or gas yet there are still five more movies plus a spin-off like they just they're just they're gonna keep coming which you know it'll be uh you know and it'll just be for part two you know honestly um this was the you know fast and the furious special uh this episode is already long enough and there are six more movies to discuss and a spinoff so uh you know the fast and the furious is amazing the franchise is undeniably cool and it's delivering an exhilarating and entertaining experience that keeps me and audiences alike hooked with every installment i absolutely adored fast x jason momoa was a great addition to the cast and john cena is really fun i like that he sticks around the movies are thrilling blend of high-speed races jaw-dropping stunts and an ensemble that is super charismatic now the fast and the furious movies provide a thrilling escapism like i said just like Twilight does with sparkly vampires, Dom and Brian and the whole family transport us to a world where cars are sleek and action is non-stop and the stakes are always the highest. It's a world where gravity can be defined and impossible becomes possible, offering a welcome break from reality and allowing us to immerse ourselves in pure, unadulterated entertainment. And that is where I am going to end today's episode. Thank you for turning into the Nerd Review, where we dive deep into the realms of all things geek and nerd. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Stay tuned for more nerdy goodness and remember to come back for your regular dose of the Nerd Review. Keep being awesome and may your nerddom thrive. This has been the Nerd, signing off.